everyone. This is Marcelle Klippenstein, and I am the Senior Director of our Value Consulting Organization here at SAP Concur. And I'm really excited to introduce our guest speaker or our guest friend here today, Jorge. I'm gonna turn it over to Jorge to introduce himself um, and talk about his role and the company he works for right now. Jorge. Thank you, pleasure to be here, uh, Marcel, and thank you for the opportunity. Uh, my name is Jorge Monge. I, I work for Smith & Nephew which is a medical devices company. And uh, my role is mostly, I am uh, I lead the global TNE and e processes uh, for the company globally. We have over 40 countries in a scope, yeah. Wow, 40 countries in scope, that's yeah. crazy. Okay, so. Um, it is. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a lot of volume to manage. When I, I didn't disclose this earlier, but when I was a program manager myself, I was only one country and I was only one US-based retailer. So I can't imagine the complexity that goes with 40 different cultures, 40 different expectations. So we're gonna, we're gonna get into some of that here in a little bit, but um, I wanna first ask, like the first question I really wanted to get to today was when you think about that footprint, we know that there was an expansion push in recent years, just where you are today had, you know, obviously a path. So can you kind of give the listeners some perspective on what it meant to tackle 40 countries and expand that footprint in a consistent way? Of course. Well, uh, I will have to start off by, by clarifying and providing some additional contextual information. So my organization, the GVS, Part of is part of a GVS organization, which GVS stands for Global Business Services. Okay. Um, so the idea behind all of that is mostly about you know centralizing and standardizing processes in a specific strategical centers across the world, right? So I work out of the center in Costa Rica, beautiful country by the way. Everyone is welcome to visit. We have very low COVID rates <laughs> right now, <laughs> uh, and I think that you know on on that particular regard, uh, you know operations work mostly centralized. Uh, in general terms, I can tell you that, for instance, the U.S. was by far the biggest operation. 80% of our, you know, population income and expenditure comes out of the United States. Uh, so that was mostly centralized and localized. Um, with the GVS effort of implementing a global business service center, what happens is that, you know, you have to start taking, for instance, the, the major operation and start to design a model that will be functional across different regions, regulations, and, uh, you know, that's that's quite a, a challenge. So part of that, you know, one key element of, of GVS as a whole is just creating a set of, of uh, maybe common language, if I may word it that way, metrics, yeah. analytics, KPIs, and things like that. So you have to take something that, in a sense, might be, you know, have been there for over maybe 10 years that is quite organic. And then, then you take that and you start to think, how can I modify this so that it fits this vision that I have at this moment? Because it's only a vision at that moment, right? So right. the first step is just understanding where things are. Uh, and maybe I can cover a little bit more as, as the conversation evolves. Yeah, no. So, I mean, with GBS, so let me make sure that myself and the audience here understand. So you um, have been, you were part of the standing up of GBS down in Costa Rica, which P.S. I love Costa Rica. I've been there. I went, I think it's called Timorando. Timorando? Tamarindo. Yeah. Tamarindo. And I got to swing, swim with some stingrays or something. It was amazing. 
Yeah. <laughs> so the GBS was a concept that was moved to Costa Rica, and then it was decided that the concur or the, the employee-initiated spend processes would be moved into that umbrella, right? Mm -hmm. And then from there, you had to determine what were the centralized regulations to consider, what were the consistencies that needed to be set in place or established so that you could have those KPIs and that common language would be understood. Did I did I make sense of that? Absolutely. That's okay. entirely accurate. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So 80% of your volume coming out of the US, the regulation and the activity there is probably pretty well understood. Let's talk about as that footprint expanded, let's talk about what it meant to understand some of those those compliance challenges. Let's talk about what it meant to consider some of the cultural experiential considerations. So which one do you want to start with? You want to go with compliance or you want to go with the employees that you were then servicing through GBS? So maybe we can go and start on with the cultural aspect to it. I think everything starts with the culture first. And, and once you have you know, created something that actually makes sense and resonates with everyone. And, you know, there is a common understanding. You can start really working across the lines of compliance and, and having people understand what uh, major decision makers and stakeholders understanding what, what compliance changes at some point needs to be um, understood and applied so that we can have a successful uh, programming model uh, taking shape uh, globally. You're talking that the cultural influence absolutely then has an impact on that, the understanding of those employees, what it means to be compliant, what it means to understand policy. Like you had to consider how to feed that through so that they were part of the solution of, of, of tackling governance and compliance uh, challenges. Is that, is that what you're saying? That is correct. Yeah. Cool. I just wanted to make sure I wanted to make sure I understood. Okay, so keep going. So the compliance piece needed the cultural influence had compliance factors and other things. Yeah, yeah. So so you mostly have to think about, you know, how how are you going to be portraying and set, setting sending a a concise message that clarifies things uh, to everyone in the organization. The whole point of globalizing and centralizing operations is that everybody has to speak this common language that I'm referring to. So most of other countries, you know, they some of them were using spreadsheets, some of them were using other other software pieces. Not everyone was entirely familiarized with Conquer, so that's part of what we have been. You know, that was part of the challenge, right? How to, in a way, sell sell this this initiative of centralizing everything under, under a single platform. And there are many cultural aspects to it. For instance, uh, you know, some people might feel they are not entirely invested into it and there might be some trust and um, you know, trust issues uh, because we have always done things this way. We have always worked this way. Yeah. You know, I'm used to having my receipts here piled up, and that's how it works. And I'm used to using, you know, this physical archive that it's been there. It's been there 30 years, and we're gonna keep using it. <laughs> <laughs> so things like that, right? And, and right. how do I how do I defend myself in the event of an audit, right? I need to have my receipts here physically. Uh, so things like that, right? And you have to come up with strong arguments that actually are understandable and help you really sell, right? You become kind of a salesman. At the end of the yeah. day, 
it's like we're working for the same company because I have to really convey <laughs> a message. And uh, thankfully, Conquer allows me to really sell that properly. You know, number one is industry standard. Number two, there, you know, it's working already in other countries. So, for instance, we were going to migrate, and the, their latest in, uh, migration was Japan, right? So, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, Japan is a whole different journey, of course, totally different. But one of the key arguments was, you know, we know that uh, there are many other companies in Japan already using it, right? So, so why can't we, right? So that's part part of the conversation that we need to to emphasize. Yeah. And um, I I don't want to skip ahead too much, but I think that you know one key element to all of this is in terms of maybe starting to 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 dwell a little bit into the compliance aspect. Right. Yeah, sorry, just to like, we, we can absolutely jump into the concept of compliance and, and managing that um, because the expansion put probably more layers of compliance on you, right? So, or to consider and different business partners you needed to work with. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the meat on the bone of compliance and which people in the business did you have to really work with to get, you know, to feel comfortable and, and feel protected? So I think that, you know, there are multiple elements to this uh, in terms of as answering your question about who who are the, you know, one, one key thing you need to do is identify stakeholders. In my case, to be super specific, those normally are finance, vice presidents, and uh, controllers as well, controllers, and always working hand in hand with uh, compliance officers as well, right? In in my case, uh, the first relationships I developed were, you know, with the four with the chief compliance officer. Number oh. one, I wanted to be friends with him. I wanted to make sure that we we got his buy-in and support. Number yeah. one, uh, you have always to go aligned with with legal as well. So we we touch base with legal and last but not least, audit. So those are like the three main people you need to have. You know, in your organization, every organization has compliance, legal, and audit, and you need to be partner uh, with them and, and establish this real partnering relationship. Would you say that the complexity of this was there legal and audit in a variety of regions? Did you have to did you have to kind of spider web that out a little bit and get to know and, and work with different regional partners, or was it all kind of consolidated as part of GBS maybe? No, it, it's uh, you know the, the it's, a, it's a spread all over right now. It's not entirely centralized. That the GBS effort aims at centralizing things and having this common language spoken by everyone. At the end of the day, the ultimate target will be the one of, you know, everything centralized under a single system and, uh, you know, all services being facilitated out of a single platform. You know, to give you an example, uh, with Japan, my first conversation was with the controller. We needed to make sure that he understood the benefits of the tool. How can we actually, you know, stand against or, or defend ourselves or maybe, you know, just provide enough backup for, for an eventual audit? How do we actually understand regulations? There are many particular things uh, that we needed to clarify and, uh, you know, kind of actually saying, you know, by deploying Conquer, you are actually in better shape. You have better backup. You have, you know, you, you will be in much better position to defend against an external or internal audit in many cases. At the end of the day, this is how you tackle risks first. And, right. and at the same time, it's a tool that allows you to increase user experience and improve it in a significant way, right? So no longer piling up receipts and things like that. So that part, I think, is an easy sell. When it comes to the compliance part and the real deal, that's the real deal. Yeah, that's the meat. Yeah, so so that's, that's one of the key elements. Yeah, I think one of the pieces, you know, even in my 
conversations with other customers or even in my own history, right? It was all about, well, how do I process this? Or how do I, how do I check all the boxes and make sure the receipt is there? And then it just is a financial transaction and we're done, you know? And to your point on all the risk mitigation that goes into this, we, I mean, maybe you agree or maybe you don't, you can say it, um, you know, this is a very risky channel of spend, right? Employees have complete control over what they get to decide to spend money on in a lot of ways, unless you have a pre-approval process in place, right? So the question becomes like how much risk is out there? So if you were thinking now, if like what outcome, do you feel completely protected? Do your controllers and your audit groups and everybody, is everyone feeling really solid and good about where you are today? What has been the outcome of this of this effort for you? We have been tracking our compliance levels and quality in terms of auditing right now. And, uh, you know, we deployed uh, Concord Detect, and this really helped okay. us sell everything in a different way. Uh, back in the day, we used to have manual audit in place, and then we were using Concord Audit, which is still performed by humans. And with, with this new digitalization trends, AI comes into play as well. And, uh, you know, we have been able to deploy, uh, satisfactorily deploy uh, Concord Detect. Uh, in all candor, it is is a process that takes, you know, it takes time. time. You have to really, you know, there's a machine learning component to it. So you really have to train the tool. Once you get to a nice level where it's properly trained, you know, it is it is a tool that we're using globally right now. And that really has helped us, uh, you know, reach that level of trusts. And, you know, shifting that mentality from, you know, there is this person, there is this guy who has always been reviewing uh, expense reports manually and he doesn't miss anything to coming to a point where, you know, I cannot be super specific because I don't think I'm at liberty of sharing right. those details. But I, I don't want to know that, all those. I don't want to know all those details, friend. <laughs> yeah, 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 of course. But, you know, we have been able to identify things that no human could have identified because this tool actually Google's it, it looks it up and yeah, the web, patterns web searches. And... Yeah, yeah. So it's it's incredible. Uh, the fact that we have been able to do that really, really has been a success story for the company and, and you know for right. this particular deployment. And yeah, yeah, artificial intelligence and it's something that you know it's gonna be continue, continue to be a trend. And uh, you know when deciding and, and in general terms thinking of designing a model, you have to make sure that it's something that will stay relevant as time passes and you have right. to think maybe five to 10 years ahead. So we were risky. We were really taking this risk of deploying AI for the very first time. I think we were part of the early adopters, maybe maybe the very first, uh, one of the very first uh, Concrete Detect users. And uh, the fact that, you know, we took that chance has proven to be, you know, a really good investment. And we have we have received very good feedback because of that. And, and our process is very mature because of that. Right. So, okay. So with the accuracy coming out of the functional pieces of the platform and then the, the big gamble, I guess, or the big bet on future-proofing using technology, I mean, I think it's all kind of landing on an overall leadership trust, like outcome for your team specifically, right? For who the people that support this program, but then also knowing that, you know, that the business is protected globally. But um, no, I think that you're, you're right on target with that in terms of, you know, what does it mean when you actually accomplish, number one, an expansion at this level, number two, considering all of the cultural components and then the compliance elements that go into that, you land on a program that people trust. You land on a, a platform or you land on a process 
that is easy and the experience makes sense. You know, I can't imagine if I was still having to use Excel. In fact, I can't use Excel today, even yeah. beyond <laughs> expense reports. So, um, well, good for you. This is exciting. One of the other questions I had was, you know, if you, if you could do it all over again, what would you take away? Like, what were your, let's say, top two learnings from your last year, two years of this, of this growth opportunity? Wow. Okay. Uh, I will say uh, number one is um, do not assume customer needs. There has to be a consistent feedback loop. Uh, we didn't go into this into much detail. I don't think we, we had, we touched on this point, but we went through two extensive transformations uh, with d &E, which were CEO sponsored. And, uh, you know, what we thought would have solved the d &E issue, you know, everybody in the company used to dread that moment at the end of the travel, right? Uh, you we know, all you were did. Your business, yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> and, and we thought we knew how to fix it, right? Uh, you know, of course, we're going to take this away. And we were thinking as process owners, right? And they're really placing ourselves in the user's shoes. So that's the number one thing I, I you know, we got it wrong the first time in all candor. We were thinking, you know, simplifying this and that, and that will, will result into increased user effectiveness. Uh, and experience and you know it, it really wasn't uh, so we have to go back to the drawing board and uh, maybe like in three months we have to redesign everything that we have proposed and uh, the one key element was you know really really creating those feedback loops and uh, uh, enabling that opportunity to survey and really surveying your key users frequent users and also detractors I love detractors even though it sounds crazy I love them those are the guys who really are willing to stand up and say you know this is what you really need to fix in a very candid way. <laughs> sometimes in the no, not, yeah, maybe sometimes you no don't want to hear it. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. you don't want to hear what they have to say, but to your point, yeah, keep going. Sorry. Yeah. So that's, that's the uh, lesson or teaching or lesson number one, I guess that that's the number one. And number two, I will say, I think uh, it's very important to, to focus on, on, on really, uh, creating some partnership and, and establishing yourself as a real, real partner with, with your key stakeholders. It's not about, I want to drive this agenda and I think this is the way forward, but actually, you know, this is, you know, bringing people with you. We're all in this together and this is this is what I think it's going to work out. Are you are you on the same page? If not, how can I really get you to, to buy into this and, and really conveying a message of common benefit? It's a mutualistic relationship. It's never, you know, I'm driving this agenda because I'm, I want this to look good. No, actually, is this the right solution? Uh, and be open to feedback and actually act on that feedback. Two things that you always need to satisfy customers and stakeholders. Those are the ones. So so those are my two main main lessons learned from here. Why? Because, you know, at the beginning, I was really, uh, in all honesty and vulnerability, I was really pushing to drive this agenda. And I got this challenge from the CEO himself, new CEO. He wanted to do things differently, more friendly and everything. So I, I figured, you know, the CEO task us with this particular thing. So let's do it. Let's move it. And, uh, you know, the CEO said to do so. So let's move. Uh, <laughs> and it's not that way. It's not that easy, you no. know. <laughs> so, so, yeah. 
So maybe we rushed a little bit, but yeah. Well, sometimes this, you know, like when you get that kind of directive and you, and that's actually a good thing, you know, that the CEO had a connection to this program. I think that that's important to call out as well, that, that, that senior leadership across the business need to understand they're part of your stakeholder community too, right? Absolutely. Not just the group you mentioned earlier, like the, the, you know, the compliance officers or the legal or audit, everybody has some sort of investment into the spend that happens through Concur. I think that that's actually a point that we often forget. I mean, treasury, audit, uh, legal, AP, employees, sales, CEO, you know, you name it, all of this spend touches a variety of groups. So I think that's important to remember, but your two lessons strike a chord with me because I've also experienced similar things, right? It was when I stood up Concur uh, with my previous role, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I knew that we needed to figure out a way to get better at this management of this kind of spend. And I actually didn't have as much CEO directive. So it was kind of like, sometimes you have, you don't have enough and you have to build some motion or some connection there, or you have, you have too much where you're able to just kind of you take that and you try to run with it, but yet you still have some pieces missing. So I think it's interesting to to look at both scenarios. Sometimes our customers or people we work with don't have the buy-in from senior leadership, which can be painful too. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, this is exciting, Jorge. I'm 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 thrilled that I was able to spend a little time with you today. I'm sure that there'll be more conversation, but uh, at this point, you know, I'm. Are there any questions for me? Maybe we can. F- turn the tables and you can ask me a question or two? Well, uh, you know, I, I am curious. I'm going to flip the coin now and I'm okay. going to ask you, what are your main, uh, you know, lessons uh, from, from you know, directing a program yourself? Oh, yeah. Gosh. Um, I, I mean, granted, it was 10 years ago. So let's let's be okay. clear. Okay. But, <laughs> but I think um, one thing to, to remember is that business is business and T&E and, and employee spend is employee spend. Um, so it just, it was about figuring out the most effective way to manage that. My experience was uh, going from paper to an automated solution. We were pre-travel, like, so basically it was like we implemented expense and then when um, travel integrated with expense, we re-implemented. And so we went to the T&E platform as a whole. And I mean, change management was probably my number one issue. And it wasn't even so much a cultural thing, you know, global culture. I'm, it was, we had cultural challenges within the business itself, right? And, and the, the freedom that people were, they were thinking was being taken away from them. And some of the, the questioning or some of the, the judgment that they felt from the visibility into what they were spending money on. And so we had to really work through a lot of that, those painful pieces to say, look, you're doing like at the end of the day, the employee experience is number one or is very important. Controlling spend is very important. Making sure we're staying within the compliance and regulations of this spend is critical. But at the same time, like we're empowering you to do your job. And that was the piece when once it kind of clicked that it was kind of all encompassing, but yet they could still do their job. We were we were golden and we just and we moved. It was great. We only had one country. There was still, you know, a significant population. The spend was only about 40 million, but we ended up transitioning to using Concur for our purchasing card activity Mm -hmm. as well. So we ended up having a a significant volume, 
more purchasing related than travel and expense related going through the system, which was a huge benefit to accounts payable. Yeah, it's a whole different world. That's a whole, whole different, different world. world. Yeah, yeah. We, we use it for PCARD as well. And, uh, you know, uh, follow up question is that two questions? Yeah. So, so, yeah. So, the fact that you're saying, you know, it was 10 years ago allows you to have a different perspective now. Uh, so I'm not going to ask you to disclose any information, you know, okay. SAP Conquer, but at the end of the day, I want to know, you know, what, what is, how do you see the industry evolving in the next five years? Cause that's where, you know, you have this perspective 10, 10 years now, what do you see in the future? Yeah, I think, um, well, of course we all know the global situation is going to change how people travel. Mm -hmm. Let's just the elephant in the room on that one. Right. I think where we're going to head at least for five years um, is, you know, obviously recovery is going to be top of mind for everyone. This and and a global camaraderie around that, like COVID and and this whole situation didn't impact just one country or just a single population. It affected the globe, and um, and I think that our our programs that we manage and our customers, as you say, you call them the employees and and the the companies that are going to have to have that mindset. We're going to have to think about what's what's best for our people, what's best for the impact on the globe, how do we contribute to the recovery effort across the business. And it seems weird to connect it to T&E, but we're mobilizing employees. We really are. That's what this solution does, is it mobilizes employees to do their job and to contribute to the revenue of the business and the process of the business. So to me, the next five years looks like a lot of control around dollars and cents and, and making sure it makes sense to spend that money. Mm -hmm. It's also going to be about protecting employees and protecting people. Like we've got to bring a human element back into this great processes streamlined to the fullest and all the buy-in in the world doesn't change the fact that you still have to protect the person. So I think the next five years looks a little bit more, um, humane. I think it looks a little bit more flexible and we're going to need technologies that help with that flexibility. That's my thoughts. I, I will add acceleration, right? We, we were point. pushed in a way that, you know, you have to create great changes in very little time. And we realized that things that we never thought were possible now are totally possible. So maybe that has demonstrated something and we should expect, you know, changes to happen faster and people to be pushed a little bit more because we have proven that it's possible. So, yeah. No, that was a good point of acceleration. Like there's no time to waste. Yeah. And you, and yeah. you don't need as much time as you thought. Right. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. No, I just wanted to say at the end of the day, you know, uh, TNE is something that touches everyone in the company. So it's it's one of those tools that allow you to send a common message. And I think that's where the effort, the simplification effort inspired by, by our CEO was with the intention of conveying a message of the new way of doing things and the, the new culture that they, he wanted to install in the company. So I think that's that's what I like about TNE at the end of the day, right? You get to make a difference in people's life in something that, you know, it's dreaded normally and you make it friendly and simple. So that gives people faith in yeah. humanity again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, I like that the the idea that this is a feeder to other simplification efforts across the business or at least an example of what's possible to simplify and make um allow your employees to focus on what actually matters, right? So, this was awesome, Jorge. Thank you so much for your time. 
I'm excited for potentially another conversation in the near future. Um, wish you the best for the holidays and uh, we'll, we'll talk again soon. And to you as well. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to share time with you, Marshall. Awesome. Thank you.